0: Hello listeners, Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music, include it with Prime. Before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might enjoy. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery with the help of those who know her best, Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former Russian KGB spy. Join Europe Bureau Chief of Global News Jeff Semple on a journey to unravel how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you listen at Nighttime. Before we begin, a brief warning. The story you will hear is a narrative telling of the information shared during this case's eventual trial. The exact details in some cases may have differed slightly from one witness to the next, and as such some storytelling decisions on some minor details had to be made. Also, I want to make it clear that great care has been taken to avoid adding speculation and inserting assumptions. And as such, some portions of this story are covered in much less detail than I would have liked. As you listen to the twists, turns, and dramatic details of the story, it's important to not lose sight of the fact that a family is now without a cherished loved one, countless people lost a dear friend, and an incredible person lost their life way too soon as a result of the series of events you'll hear.
1: This episode of Nighttime contains graphic descriptions of violence, domestic abuse, suicide and self-harm. Listener discretion is advised. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast,
0: focused on the fringe of Canada. For a 911 operator fielding calls in a university city like Halifax... Working a Friday night is sure to be a mixed bag. Periods of silence are bookended by frantic callers requesting help during the evening's dark spots, car accidents, seniors suffering a fall, a citizen uh, undergoing a mental health crisis, and of course, the various events that occur when the city's bars and nightclubs let out their army of partygoers. But once the late-night pizza shops serve their last slice, and the taxis finish shuttling people home from the foggy evenings, the city sleeps and the periods of silence an emergency line operator enjoys get extended. As the clock changes from 6am and then 7am, it's no longer a busy Friday night, it's now a quiet Saturday morning, and there's a big difference. But as you'll hear during this episode, there was nothing typical about the morning of Saturday, March 26, 2016. Just before 8 a.m. that morning, a 911 dispatcher took a call that would set in motion one of the most disturbing murder trials in Halifax's history.
1: a your emergency? I killed myself, I haven't tried to kill myself, I killed myself my hand, I think I'm dying. And where are you at? Uh, I'm at 17 Ocean, Ocean mid Seven seventy three I can't 73 Ocean View? 17 Ocean Okay, so 17 Ocean View Drive in Halifax, Halifax County? Yeah. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. I killed my girlfriend and I tried to kill myself. I cut off my hand and I'm dying. Okay, sorry. Can you say that again? Okay, okay. I need help. I'm dying. Okay, just slow your breathing down, okay? I'm I'm dying. I cut off my hand. Okay. Hi, uh, the paramedics are on the way. Okay. What's your name? I'm dying. I killed my girlfriend. Okay, listen, listen. The paramedics are on the way. Okay. What's your name? Okay. What is it? I What is it? I'm dying. I'm dying. Listen, we're, we're coming to help you, okay, but I need you to calm down. I I'm, I best, need to get I'm bleeding to death. I cut off my hand. Cut off your hand. I know. I, I hear I what you're killed My girlfriend, she's dead. Your girlfriend is dead? I killed her. Okay. I killed her I tried to kill myself. What's your name, sir? I'm dying. Sir, you...
0: If you couldn't make all of that out, between the gasping breaths, the man was trying to explain he killed his girlfriend, he'd cut his hand off, and he thought he was going to bleed to death. Obviously for the operator on the other end of the phone, that is certainly a chilling call to receive. But as dark and unsettling as it was, nothing could have prepared anyone for the horrific scene awaiting the first responders at 17 Ocean View Drive in Halifax. In tonight's episode... Our topic will be the beautiful life and appalling murder of 32-year-old yoga instructor, Kristen Johnston. As Halifax police made their way to the home, the 911 operator tried to keep the caller on the line, both to figure out who he was and to determine what the officers were walking into. But as you heard in the prior clip, the caller wasn't able to say much. Between his gasping breaths, he wailed, sobbed, and at times sounded like he was vomiting, all the while repeatedly telling them he was dying, he'd killed his girlfriend, and he'd cut off his hand. When the operator pressed them for more information, the call was disconnected. And when they called the number back, they had their first clue as to the identity of the caller. The voicemail that welcomed them said, You have reached Nick Butcher. Not long after the 911 operator lost contact with the caller, the first police officers would arrive to the scene. As Halifax Police Sergeant McGilvery and Constable Turner exited their vehicles, they were on a quiet street, preparing to approach a large two-story home, still uncertain what they were walking into. Sergeant McGilvery took a defensive position behind a stacked stone retaining wall and trained his M8 assault rifle to the front of the house, providing cover for Constable Turner, who carefully made his way up the driveway towards the home. When Constable Turner's approach brought him to a short walkway that leads from the driveway to the home's main entrance, the front door swung open, revealing the first in a series of images forever burned in the darkest corners of these officers' minds. A distraught man stepped out of the home and onto the front step, shirtless, wearing pajama pants, and covered in blood. Immediately, both officers pointed their weapons at him and ordered him to put his hands in the air. And when the blood soaked man complied, his right hand was missing, replaced instead with a bloody stump. The man on the step obviously was the one who'd phoned 911 moments earlier, reporting that he'd killed his girlfriend. As the two officers slowly approached him with their guns drawn, it became obvious that his injuries were far beyond the missing hand. Thick blood was slowly oozing out of several stab wounds on his neck, and blood dripped from the wrist of his other remaining hand. Now, with a goal of providing safe access to the home, the officers ordered the man to lie down, which he complied with. To keep control of the bloody scene on the front step, Sergeant McGovery kept his M8 assault rifle drawn on the man, allowing Constable Turner the ability to enter the home in search of the homeowner, Kristen Johnston. As Turner entered the home, his path was obvious as a trail of blood led towards a bedroom at the end of the hall, revealing a sort of morbid walkway. As Turner followed the path, carefully clearing the home room by room on the way, the bizarre scene continued to play out on the front step. Paramedics, at this point, were on the scene, but unable to approach until police have cleared the home. But given the severity of the shirtless man's injuries, Sergeant McGilvry feared he'd soon lose consciousness, and all the while, keeping the assault rifle pointed at him, the officer tried to maintain a dialogue to keep the man engaged. Sergeant McGilvry asked his name, and like the 911 operator predicted, the man provided it as Nicholas Butcher. Next, McGilvery asked who else was in the home and in between deep gasping breaths, Butcher explained that there was a tenant in the basement apartment. In response, McGovery asked, what about your girlfriend? To which Butcher responded, she was in the bedroom. As Constable Turner within the home continued retracing the bloody trail down the hallway, the conversation on the front step continued with a sobbing Nick Butcher cycling between saying he was sorry and frantically asking the police to call his mother. Now, as disturbing a scene the blood-covered, one-handed Nick Butcher presented on the front step, nothing could have prepared anyone for the one Constable Turner was about to discover in the master bedroom of the home. As he approached the door's threshold, he likely braced himself in preparation for finding what the 911 call had foreshadowed. But this was different. This would be the finale of a call that the police officers involved would carry with them into retirement. When Constable Turner stepped into the master bedroom, he found 32-year-old Kristen Johnston's lifeless body lying on her back in the center of a bed spotted with smears and puddles of blood. Although a pillow covered Kristen's neck and head, a blood-soaked steak knife next to her provided a grim hint at the pillow's purpose. On the floor next to the bed was a miter saw, and next to it, an amputated hand. Constable Turner yelled out to Kristen, but with no movement no response it was obvious it was too late the time now came to stabilize the scene nick butcher was placed under arrest and loaded into the ambulance and after a short argument between the paramedics and police his amputated hand was removed from the scene and taken in the ambulance with him i really messed up but i don't want to die he told the paramedic but it was too late there was no helping kristen as the pillow was lifted from her head 10 catastrophic knife wounds to her neck were revealed. The medical examiner would confirm that she died within a span of minutes of the attack. For investigators, the images from that night would last much longer. And for family and friends, this nightmare was only beginning.
1: Outpourings of grief and shock continue tonight over the latest homicide in the city. The victim has been identified as 32-year-old Kristen Johnson. Her body was discovered inside her home off Purcell's Cove Road Saturday morning. Johnson was a well-known in the Halifax yoga community as a former studio owner and a current instructor. Club's Alexa McLean is standing by live outside the Rio Palades and Yoga Studio in central Halifax, where a vigil is being held in her honor at this hour. Alexa?
2: Halifax's yoga community is in mourning after the homicide
1: of one of their own. So sort I of spent the whole day kind of in... Uh... And back and forth praying that it, it wasn't her.
2: Her being 32-year-old Kristen Johnston, an active member of the city's yoga scene. Johnston used to own the now-closed downtown yoga studio Bikram Yoga. Her body was found on Saturday morning after police responded to a 911 call. Members of the neighborhood say they are saddened and shocked by the news.
0: When people describe Kristen Johnston, words like magnetic, genuine, and selfless often come up. Originally, from Montreal, Kristen Elizabeth Johnson was the youngest of the three children born to Robert and Vicky on September 17, 1983. She was an adventurous soul who loved to travel, learn, and meet new people. From hiking in the Himalayas to snorkeling in Fiji, Kristen was someone who lived life to the fullest. She'd studied fine arts at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, and explored a career in film and cinematography before ultimately turning her passion for yoga into a career. Initially, she studied at Bikram Yoga's College of India and began instructing in Montreal. The events that indirectly lead to the 911 call we heard earlier start with Kristen's decision to spend the summer of 2011 exploring Canada's East Coast. During her time on the East Coast, Nova Scotia stood out to Kristen. It reminded her of the time she'd spent in New Zealand, and in particular, she fell in love with the city of Halifax, the province's historic Oceanside capital. During an interview with the Coast magazine in Halifax, Kristen described experiencing a sort of aha moment during her initial visit to Halifax. She went on to explain having a feeling that the city is where she wanted to live. She just needed to figure out how to make it happen. And then it hit her. After discovering there was no yoga studios east of Montreal offering the Bikram yoga techniques that Kristen had been trained to teach, the deal was sealed. In that fall, she made the fateful decision to leave Montreal and make Halifax her permanent home. During her time in Halifax, Kristen became well-known and highly respected as an ambitious yoga studio owner and instructor. But studio owner and instructor makes it sound like work. I should be clear here, this was much more than a job for Kristen. Both yoga and its ability to improve the lives of others were a deep passion for her. We can get a glimpse into this passion by revisiting a television appearance Kristen made on global television just two months prior to her murder.
3: So what's your background? Why did you decide to uh, get into yoga? Um, I was sort of forced into it in a way. (laughs) My dad suffered from... Uh, really bad sciatic pain. My brother was an insomniac, had back pain. They both were sick and tired of trying everything. Um, someone introduced them to Bikram Yoga in Montreal. They started practicing, it changed their lives. They started taking over the studio in Montreal. It grew for them. I never wanted to, I wasn't interested in it. I was playing sports, I was a waitress. It just wasn't a thing for me. Yeah. Finally my brother said, I'll stop bothering you if you do this yoga for 30 days and it's not for you, I'll never bother you again. Wow. So I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> did it change my life? <laughs> really? Yeah. And do you notice that it changes a lot of people's lives that come into your studio? Oh, yeah. Everybody. Because the people that are coming through the studio are people who have injuries and ailments and are suffering from anxiety or depression or body issues or whatever it is. They come in and they change themselves. And I don't know their story until halfway through and they tell me, I just, you know, I was just going through chemo and I came to Bikram Yoga. I was terrified. I did a class. The reason I'm coming back is because everyone makes me feel like. I'm good enough. I really like how you point out, you know, it's not only physical changes that people are seeing. You're talking about insomnia, mental illness even, and it's improving their life in that sense. I think that people initially walk through the door because they think, I want to lose weight. You know, you can can lose 1,200 calories in a class. So they think, okay, I want to lose weight, or I want to get a little bit more fit, or I have this old injury. They come for that reason, and then through their process, they're like, "But I'm eating better, and I'm breathing better, changing. and everything, and I'm treating people better, and I'm treating myself better." Mm-hmm. And that's what's amazing about it is that it does change you without you having to be, without you having to have this moment of, "I want to change my life." Yep.
0: Like you just heard Kristen describe in her own words, her discovery of yoga had changed her life and had ignited within her a mission to share the practice with others. Shortly after settling in yoga, Kristen opened the doors to Bikram Yoga, becoming the city's first studio to offer the Bikram Hot Yoga series. Almost immediately the studio was a hit. In fact, readers of Halifax's popular Art & Culture magazine would recognize Kristen year after year as Halifax's best yoga instructor, in the business itself taking top honors as best yoga studio. Now, although her life was cut short before her vision was fully realized, Kristen had hoped to one day expand and use the studio space for art, photography, and music events. And she was a force, a community builder, and her studio that was her workshop. Her friend, the world renowned opera singer Misha Bruegga Gorsman, described Kristen simply as someone who radiated from the inside out. But Misha wasn't the only one drawn to Kristen. Many were, for better or worse. One of them was a guy she'd met through some friends, just as she was settling into her new home in late 2011. You've already met him in the opening segment of this episode. His name is Nick Butcher. Nick was a local. He'd grown up in Halifax and had just graduated from Dalhousie Law School. Though the pair spent time together socially during the years, they didn't officially become a couple until early in 2015. It didn't take long after getting together that things got serious between them. Now friends couldn't help but notice how different they were. In contrast to Kristen's outgoing personality, Nick was described as being a little awkward and uncomfortable at social gatherings. But there was more to it than simply being a little awkward. Turns out Nick had a dark side. Looking at this in hindsight, it's obvious that something is off with Nick Butcher, but if Kristen saw any warning signs hinting at how dangerous he could be, I suppose we'll never know. But some people in Nick's past did see these warning signs. Some clear examples involved unsettling incidents with past girlfriends, two of which would come to testify against him in this case. One of the pair, a woman butcher-dated for over two years, claims he had an inability to cope with stress or anger. And although he wasn't violent with her, he spit on her during an argument. And after they broke up, he displayed a variety of unusual and controlling behaviors. He hacked into her social media accounts, accessed her personal email, and when picking up some of his stuff from her home, he found a used condom, which she claims he would have had to rummage through the garbage to get. Then, perhaps most unsettling, he offered her an engagement ring, and when she refused, it culminated in Nick's admission to a psychiatric ward of a Montreal hospital several years before he even met Kristen in Halifax. Now, it wasn't just past romantic partners that saw this darker side of Nick Butcher. A friend who'd known him for 18 years had recalled times where he wouldn't be able to get out of bed due to stress and would become deeply depressed about work, sometimes for days on end. But whatever career-related stresses Nick struggled with before his time with Kristen, they didn't seem to improve after they became a couple. In fact, it's been widely said that Nick's financial situation would become a point of contention, specifically his difficulties finding a job and avoiding his slow but deep descent into financial debt. During this episode, I don't want to spend time on what factors may have drawn Kristen to Nick in the beginning. Whatever she may have seen in him, she obviously isn't here to describe. But there must have been some good times in the beginning. They've been photographed, smiling together, for whatever that's worth. And of course, she cared enough about him to let him into her life. But again, the only one left to describe their relationship with any authority is Nick. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather hear her side of it. Now, what what has widely been reported is the breakdown of the relationship and some factors that may have led to it. As I've already mentioned, chief among these factors was said to be Nick's professional and financial struggles. For someone on the outside looking into Nick Butcher's life, it may come as a bit of surprise that he had problems with this aspect of life. Nick is a law school graduate, has a master's degree in history, and has taken steps towards a Ph.D., But despite that, he was unable to land an articling job. Instead, he juggled five part-time jobs, an election poll supervisor, an office assistant, a cafe employee, a driving instructor, and research assistant. A hard way to pay back the nearly $200,000 he owed in student loans and lines of credit. Now, several months into their relationship, his debt, like many other factors Kristen isn't here to tell us about, began to weigh on her. In messages to friends from this period, it was clear Johnston was unhappy with the situation and that the relationship between her and Nick was beginning to crumble. In fact, it wasn't only the relationship that was failing. Kristen's yoga business was also suffering under the strain of both the mounting bills and her personal life. In late 2015, Kristen began to express a need to make some changes in her life. The first such change involved her once thriving, but now struggling, business. After five years, she began taking steps to close her yoga studio for good. At this point, the 911 call that opened this episode is only a matter of months away. Although we don't know for certain when the tragic events that would lead to her murder were set in motion, it seems to start with Kristen's desire for a change in life. Specifically, a change to a life that doesn't involve Nick Butcher. As it happens in many relationships, Nick and Kristen's breakup didn't happen overnight. Far from it, in fact. It seemed to have started in November of 2015, roughly five months before her murder. Based on what i have been able to piece together, Kristen had tried to leave Nick, or at least take a break from him several times. Just prior to the Christmas holidays of 2015, she and Nick had broken up, but while she was in Quebec with her family, they agreed to get back together when she returned to Halifax. But whatever problems they had, they weren't over. By February of 2016, Kristen was ready to follow through on the changes she'd been contemplating. She finalized the shutdown of her yoga studio and in conversations with friends, she was open about her plan. She wanted to break up with Nick. They were arguing constantly and she'd had enough. She just wanted to figure out exactly how she could leave him. Now, While she considered her options, she did the next best thing and took advantage of travel opportunities that would at least give her some distance from Nick and hopefully give her some time to decide the next steps. It was in early March just weeks prior to her murder. She booked back-to-back trips for herself, the first to visit family in Florida, and the next to spend time with her best friend in Costa Rica. Despite being some of her last, these days spent catching up with her best friend and vacationing with her family in Florida were happy ones, and it was during this time that Krista would make a final, fateful decision to leave Halifax and Nick Butcher behind to start a new life. Kristen had decided she'd leave Nick and move to Tofino, B.C. to be closer with her sister, her brother-in-law, and the person Kristen seemed to adore above all others, their young daughter, her beloved niece Hannah. While Kristen was vacationing and making plans to leave Nick, he was back at her home on 17 Ocean View Drive in Halifax, taking care of her pit bull, Charlie. Although Kristen's mind was all but made up, the two continued to text back and forth in one message nick wrote i never loved a girl as much as i love you Kristen didn't seem to feel the same way about him but she also didn't seem to know how to tell him and she was quickly running out of time to figure it out Kristen boarded the plane to return to nova scotia and nick on march 23rd 2016 just two days before she'd be found dead When Kristen returned to Halifax, she seemed committed to avoid falling back into a dysfunctional relationship with Nick. In fact, she told a friend she was doing all she could to avoid going to the house, evidently seeking space while she figures out how to end the relationship. Just two days after returning from vacation, the situation was now about to boil over in the most tragic way imaginable. On March 25th, Kristen met up with some friends at the Lion and Bright, a popular downtown Halifax restaurant. On this night, which sadly turned out to be her last, her friends would later describe Kristen as glowing, really happy, and bubbly. While Kristen was at the restaurant, Nick was spending the evening at a friend's place. It's hard to say if Nick Butcher noticed the emotional distance that Kristen was keeping between them since returning from her vacation, but if he did, it might explain why during the evening he decided to leave his friend's house, go back to Kristen's place, open her laptop, and read through her private Facebook messages. While Kristen and her friends were at the restaurant sipping wine and toasting to good times and new beginnings. Nick was alone, leaned over her laptop, being confronted with the glaring truth. Their relationship was over. Kristen had been planning to leave Halifax, and she certainly wasn't going to take him along with her. After spending about three hours at the Lion and Bright restaurant, Kristen's group began to splinter off and venture into the night. As the night was winding down, Kristen had told a friend she didn't want to go home. As she'd rather not see Nick. Kristen decided she'd continue her night by leaving the restaurant with her close friend Lisa. From the Lion and Bright, Kristen and Lisa first went to Lisa's apartment, but they wouldn't stay there long. While at Lisa's, Kristen connected with another friend through Facebook Messenger. This was a male friend, a talented musician named Mike. Over a series of Facebook messages, Mike invited Kristen and Lisa to his apartment in downtown Halifax. Kristen had known Mike for several years, but she'd never been to his place. So to be helpful, Mike provided his address and gave her clear directions on how to get to his apartment. What we now know, and what Kristen may not have even considered then, is that the messages she received on her phone were also appearing on her laptop back at her place. And Nick Butcher, he was watching them carefully. It was shortly after 1am when Kristen and Lisa walked into Mike's second floor apartment on Willow Street in Halifax. Now a trio, Mike, Lisa, and Kristen spread out in the living room, listening to records and talking about life over drinks. Mike described Kristen's demeanor as being happy and energized from the moment she walked in the door. However, after about an hour of good times, the mood in the room was about to change significantly. As the trio were lost in conversation, good wine, and even better music, something caught Mike's attention. He heard the lower level front door of his apartment opened, followed by the sound of footsteps ascending the stairs into his apartment. Not expecting anyone, Mike sat his drink down, got up, and left the living room to see who the unexpected visitor was. Mike first crossed paths with the man in the hallway outside of the living room, just out of sight of Kristen and lisa it wasn't anyone mike had ever seen before but before mike had a chance to say anything the man said i don't know if i'm in the right place mike asked who are you looking for likely expecting the man to say the name of a neighbor or some other evidence of a simple mistake but this wasn't going to be anything simple the man said he was looking for Kristen. Mike, still seemingly expecting a misunderstanding, took a few steps to get in view of the living room and said, you don't mean this, Kristen, do you? When the man stepped into the doorway to the living room, Kristen Johnston was shocked. This unwelcome visitor was likely the last person she wanted to see at that moment, Nick Butcher. Kristen quickly took control of the situation. She asked Nick, how did you know I was here? But Nick didn't answer. Instead, he asked his own question. I thought you said you were at Lisa's. Kristen responded by clearing up the nuances and clarified that she was with Lisa. Apparently a significant difference in the mind of Nick Butcher. I imagine motivated by a desire to not allow Nick to cause a scene, Kristen took Nick out of the room and out of earshot of Mike and Lisa. First, they went to the kitchen to talk, then down the stairs and out the front door that Nick had entered just minutes earlier. As Mike and Lisa sat together back in the living room, listening to Kristen and Nick talking on the front step, Lisa had explained who this man was. See, Mike didn't know Nick Butcher. He didn't even know Kristen had a boyfriend. This was certainly an awkward way to meet him. Fortunately, this uncomfortable visit was over, at least for now. After about 20 minutes, Kristen walked back into the living room, now alone. But she wasn't the same bubbly Kristen that showed up at the apartment initially. No longer was she smiling. In fact, she looked a little freaked out. As she rejoined Mike and Lisa, she explained she'd just broke up with Nick, and although the mood in the room was altered, the trio continued their night, listening to records and talking. The conversation, however, moved from a discussion about Kristen's recently failed yoga business to the unhappy relationship she just ended on the front step. Of course, a bit more bleak of a topic but it's not surprising why it would have been on all their minds after Nick's unexpected but brief walk-in. Now, as the early morning hours began to slip past them, Kristen announced she was tired and she was going to stay at Mike's for the night. I can understand why she didn't want to return home to Nick and face him at this hour. By now, it was 4 a.m. It was at this point that Lisa decided to go home, leaving Kristen and Mike alone in the apartment. Within a short span of time, the newly single Kristen would lay down in Mike's bed and the two would become intimate. I'm not going to speculate on what Mike and Krista were thinking at this point, but after what occurred earlier, Mike likely felt concern when he thought he heard footsteps coming from the direction of his kitchen. Before he realised that the footsteps in the kitchen were actually footsteps in the bedroom, Mike felt someone grab him and pull him off Kristen. Nick Butcher, he was back in the apartment this time walking in on something much more upsetting than Kristen and her friends listening to music. As Mike and Kristen looked up from the bed, at a now very upset Nick Butcher, the silence was quickly broken when Nick asked Kristen, Why are you doing this? Kristen demanded to know what Nick was doing there. It was hard to picture this scene, but at this point, Nick was kneeling on the ground, leaning against the bed, watching as Nick and Kristen began speaking about their failed relationship. Mike tried to defuse the situation by offering them some space and a chance to talk privately. He asked Nick and Kristen what they'd like him to do. When Nick asked for a few minutes alone to talk with Kristen, Mike agreed and left the apartment to walk around the block. When he returned just minutes later, the place was empty. He obviously experienced a weird string of events surrounding Kristen and Nick, but Mike didn't feel much need to be concerned. He described Nick as not appearing threatening. And shortly after finding the apartment empty, Mike received a text from Kristen apologizing for what had just happened. Jesus fucking Christ. I'm sorry. There is much we don't know about what happened after Nick and Kristen left the apartment. But what we do know is that the pair drove back to Kristen's home at 17 Ocean View Drive. One can only speculate on the conversation that would have taken place during that 20 minute car ride, but when they arrived home, Kristen was probably tired. After entering the home, she appeared to have changed from her clothes and went to bed. And soon after that, Nick would put a pillow over her head and stab her to death. And then, in an attempt to take his own life, he'd stab himself in the neck 13 times and with a miter saw, cut off his hand at this point, Nick would make the last-minute decision to pick up the phone and try to save his own life.
1: We're coming to help you, okay, but I need you to calm down. I need to get some memories. I cut off my hand. Cut off your hand. I know. I hear what you're saying. My girlfriend is dead. Your girlfriend is dead? I killed her. I killed her and I tried to kill myself. What's your name?
0: As you heard in the opening segment of this episode, Nick, despite receiving significant injuries, managed to survive. It's even said that doctors were able to successfully reattach his hand. As far as his explanation for why he did this to Kristen, well, he told his side of the story in the courtroom. He claimed it was self-defense, that she had attacked him in the dark, and that he had mistaken her for an intruder, killing her unintentionally. Nick Butcher actually testified in his own defense. He told the court, I reached over, I turned on the lamp, and the person that was beneath me was Kristen and she was dead. I just killed her by accident, just not even knowing what was going on. He added, I thought to myself I have to die too. Although nothing could ever make this right, just over two years after Kristen's life was senselessly and selfishly cut short family would finally see Canada's version of justice.
2: 15 years. That's how long convicted killer, Nicholas Butcher, must stay behind bars before he is eligible to start applying for parole. A jury found Butcher guilty earlier this year of fatally stabbing his girlfriend, Kristen Johnston, inside her Purcell's Cove home in March 2016. She and Butcher had been dating, but evidence presented in court showed Johnston was thinking of breaking up with Butcher
1: around the time of her death. Being in the relationship gives the murderer the opportunity, the access to that person that someone else uh, wouldn't have, as we argued, Uh, the facts suggest she was uh, asleep and uh, unable to defend herself.
2: A second-degree murder conviction comes with an automatic life sentence. The Crown had been asking a Supreme Court judge to set Butcher's parole eligibility at 17 years, while the defense was asking for 10 years.
0: For a vibrant young woman with friends and family across the country, the impact of Kristen's murder has been far reaching. For the city of Halifax, its vibrant yoga community, and most of all for Kristen's loved ones, life was never going to be the same.
2: Today, the court heard a number of victim impact statements from those who knew Johnston, talking about how her death has impacted them. Her brother called Johnston his soulmate, while her sister recalled how she will never get to see Kristen get married or have children of her own. Johnston's stepfather placed photos of her at the front of the courtroom while he told the court that a full recovery from Kristen's death is impossible. Butcher himself also addressed the court, telling Johnston's family that he was sorry beyond words for causing her death, and that he has spent every waking moment the last two years wishing this didn't happen.
0: Each year on Kristen's birthday, yoga studios across Canada hold memorial classes to raise funds in her name. You can learn more about this annual event or make a donation to the Kristen Johnston Legacy Fund by visiting KristenJohnstonLegacy.com. A line of text on the site touched me. It said, Kristen moved everyone who met her in a positive way. Truly, she was an unforgettable human being. We refuse to forget her. Instead," On her birthday, we celebrate her. My sincere condolences go out to anyone listening who knows Kristen personally, especially so any member of her family. As upsetting as the story must be to hear, I only hope my coverage was respectful and accurate. I think it's important to remember this episode, although graphic and very dark at points, covers just a small period of Kristen's life. Kristen was and is cherished by so many. She gave an incredible amount to her friends and her community, and she had so much more both to give and receive. I of course could never understand how her friends, family and loved ones must feel having experienced such a tragic public loss of someone they love so much. If anyone listening would like to share their memories of Kristen or speak about your time with her, I'd love to hear from you. In my research for this episode, I felt the majority of the coverage focused on the tragic end to her life. I'd very much be interested in follow-up episodes covering what happened before, what's happened since, and the effect this loss has left on Kristen's loved ones. And with that, we'll conclude this episode of Nighttime. I want to give a huge thank you to this episode's co-writer and researcher, Jana McFatridge. Thank you so much, Jana. Nighttime listeners are fortunate to have you pitching in, and I'm very excited to get to work on the next story with you. Next, I want to thank the Canadian band Vox Somnia for providing the music for this episode. You can find their really cool, really eerie music through the link in the show notes. If you're interested in hearing more from Nighttime, Please check out the Patreon group, where for one dollar a month you can support the show and access the supporter exclusive feed, which provides ad-free, early releases of episodes, in addition to prior episodes no longer available on the main feed. You can join by visiting patreon.com/slash/nighttimepodcast. I'd like to thank the current patrons of the show, and welcome the newest members of the group: Matt Form, Amy, and Ben Mossman. I sincerely appreciate your support at nighttime for anyone else who'd like to support the show, but can't help financially. You can give me a hand by telling your friends about me and leaving a positive review on Apple podcasts or any equivalent. If any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities on and off the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at nighttime pod. If you have any story ideas or feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you at NighttimePodcast at Gmail. And until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird.
1: The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.
0: There's a small city in northern Ontario. With the highest murder rate in the country where the mayor is facing a trial for extortion where nine indigenous teenagers came from out of town to go to high school and ended up dead i need you to know there is an
1: activity down by the river that involves throwing indigenous people into the river when they're too drunk to defend themselves doesn't that sound like bloodshed don't send your kids here no more because thunder bay is um, fucking murder city
0: Thunder Bay is a podcast from Canada Land Media subscribe now in iTunes
1: or wherever you get your podcasts